0: Good morning. I'm James Homan from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, July thirtieth. In today's news, the CEOs of the four biggest tech giants get grilled on Capitol Hill over their market power. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is hospitalized again, and President Trump pulls 12,500 U.S. troops out of Germany. But first, the big idea. The United States reported just over 1,400 fatalities yesterday from the coronavirus. That is our highest death toll in two months. Florida, North Carolina, Idaho, and California set new single-day records. About 150,000 Americans have now died since February from COVID-19. More than 4.4 million cases have been confirmed. And when it rains, it pours. Florida is closing all of its state-run coronavirus testing sites as a tropical cyclone approaches, highlighting how hurricane season is making it even harder for hotspots to respond to the pandemic. Meanwhile, in Washington, there was a meeting yesterday of a panel of scientists and public health experts to hash out who should get first dibs on a potential coronavirus vaccine. These discussions are built around planning that was developed back in 2009 during the H1N1 influenza pandemic. The highest priority would go to healthcare and essential workers and high-risk populations. One proposed group would also include older adults, as well as residents of long-term care facilities and people with underlying medical conditions. A federal advisory panel that provides vaccine recommendations to the CDC presented an overview of their priority groups last month, and then they met to discuss it yesterday. Lena Sun, who covered the meeting for us, said they decided to divide workers at the greatest risk for exposure to infectious diseases into six different categories. There's healthcare support, which includes home health aides and medical assistants, healthcare practitioners, which includes doctors, dentists, nurses, and pharmacists, protective services, which includes police officers and firefighters, childcare workers, barbers, and fitness trainers, and another group and then social workers, probation officers, and health educators in another, and finally educators with a priority for K-12 teachers. U.S. officials have said that if a vaccine is shown to be effective, the first doses could be available by the end of this year. The final decision-making will take place over the next few months, and it's certain no matter what they decide to be controversial. The head of the Federal Reserve, meanwhile, said at a news conference yesterday afternoon that rising caseloads are taking a significant toll on the economy, and that getting the virus under control is the most important thing that can be done to turn the economy around. Fed Chair Jerome Powell says the data points toward a slowing economy and a slowing pace of recovery. He looked at various measures of consumer spending based on debit card and credit card use that have moved down since June. He also expressed concern that small businesses are not hiring workers back at the same pace they were, hotel occupancy rates have flattened out, and Americans are going to restaurants, gas stations, and beauty salons less now than they were earlier in the summer. The Fed's policymaking board decided to keep interest rates, which are already near zero, unchanged. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, Congress is nowhere close to a deal on a coronavirus relief bill. A meeting between the Treasury Secretary and White House Chief of Staff and Democratic leaders ended last night with no agreement on extending emergency unemployment benefits that expire Friday or on reviving the federal moratorium on evictions that lapsed last week. That means some 20 million jobless Americans will lose $600 in their weekly enhanced unemployment benefits that Congress had approved back in March. All the talk on Capitol Hill yesterday was about Congressman Louie Gohmert, the conservative Republican from Texas who tested positive for the virus. He has been seen regularly walking the halls of the Capitol without wearing a mask. He often did not socially distance. And he only found out that he had the virus because he was tested by the White House in advance of a planned Air Force One flight with President Trump to a fundraiser in Texas. But even as the congressman vowed to avoid spreading the disease to others, he continued to ignore expert advice. He insisted on returning to the Capitol after he tested positive so that he could personally inform his staff. And he used his platform to spread more false information about the virus, saying that those who test positive later become immune, something that, as we've discussed here, has not been proven, and suggesting that face masks actually make it more, not less likely that one could become infected. That's definitely not how it works. By the end of yesterday, Gomert had emerged as the national model for exactly how experts say people should not behave when they get COVID. In fact, Gomer didn't just go back to his office. He apparently spent the night there. He's one of the dozen or so members of Congress who live in their House offices. Democrats who work on the same floor he does are irate that he apparently plans to stay there as he battles the contagion. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi responded to the Gomert News by announcing that all lawmakers will now be required to wear a mask when they appear on the House floor. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Amazon's Jeff Bezos, Apple's Tim Cook, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, and Google's Sundar Pichai appeared virtually for a House Judiciary subcommittee hearing yesterday to fiercely defend their businesses as rags to riches success stories during a nearly six-hour hearing where Democrats and Republicans confronted the executives about their market power. Lawmakers on the House's top antitrust subcommittee came armed with millions of documents, hundreds of hours of interviews, and the once private messages of Silicon Valley's elite chiefs. They argued that all of these showed that some in the tech sector have become too big and too powerful, threatening rivals, consumers, and even democracy itself. Democrats repeatedly confronted Zuckerberg with his past emails. Congressman Jerry Nadler, the Democrat from New York who chairs the Judiciary Committee, brought up a 2012 message in which Zuckerberg said he sought to acquire Instagram, which at the time was a rival app, out of fear that it could, quote, meaningfully hurt us. Later, Joe Neguse, a Democratic congressman from Colorado, pointed to other Facebook internal emails that described the company's acquisition strategy generally as a, quote, land grab. Meanwhile, Amazon faced withering scrutiny over allegations that it may have misled the committee. The e-commerce giant previously told lawmakers that it does not tap data from third-party suppliers to boost sales of its own products. But Democratic Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal of Washington state brought up public reports that indicated something to the contrary, prompting Bezos, who owns the Washington Post and was delivering his first ever testimony to Congress, to offer a striking admission of potential fault. David Cicilline, a Democratic congressman from Rhode Island who chairs the Antitrust Subcommittee, says he's going to issue a major report sometime in August, outlining the case for updating federal competition rules to give regulators more power to probe and penalize the industry. Number two. The Supreme Court announced late last night that Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg had a, quote, minimally invasive non-surgical procedure. A statement says that stent revisions are common occurrences and that this procedure performed using endoscopy and medical imaging guidance was done to minimize the risk of future infection. According to a court spokeswoman, the justice is, quote, resting comfortably and expects to be released from the hospital by the end of this week. Our Supreme Court reporter, Bob Barnes, reports that Ginsburg is being treated at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York, where she received a bile duct stent a year ago. Earlier this month, the 87-year-old was admitted to Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore because of fever and chills, possibly related to an infection. She underwent an endoscopic procedure there to clean out the stent that had been placed last August. More seriously, Ginsburg announced on July 17th that she has had a recurrence of cancer, her fourth bout with the disease. Ginsburg said then that she is being treated for lesions on her liver, but that chemotherapy has proven successful. If Ginsburg steps down, it would give Trump the chance to make a third nomination to the Supreme Court. Even though it's a presidential election year, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says he would rush to confirm a nominee before the election. This is a reversal from his position in 2016 when Barack Obama was president and he blocked Merrick Garland from replacing the late Antonin Scalia. Back then, the Kentucky Republicans said it would be hugely inappropriate and an insult to voters to confirm a justice to the Supreme Court during an election year. Number three, Defense Secretary Mark Esper finally unveiled the details of a long-awaited review of the U.S. military presence in Europe, announcing that he will follow through on the president's order to pull 12,500 U.S. troops out of Germany. About 5,600 of those troops will go to Italy and Belgium. The other 6,400 will be based in the U.S. and conduct some rotational deployments back to Europe. This reduction is larger than previously expected and will reduce the presence of U.S. troops stationed in Germany from 36,000 to around 24,000. Trump said yesterday that he is doing this because Germany does not spend 2% of its gross domestic product on defense. But insiders say that that's not Really, what's happening? He's doing this out of spite and because of his personal dislike for German Chancellor Angela Merkel, according to several people inside the administration. And it turns out that Italy and Belgium actually spend less of their GDP on defense than Germany does. So his argument doesn't even pass the smell test. On Capitol Hill, members of both parties are irate that Trump is weakening deterrence against Russia, handing a strategic gift to Vladimir Putin, and increasing tensions with NATO. Republican Senator Mitt Romney from Utah called Trump's move a gift to Russia that will make America less safe. He said it is a slap in the face of a key ally and will embolden Putin to be more aggressive against Western Europe. Senator Jack Reed from Rhode Island, the top Democrat on the Senate Armed Services Committee, described Trump's move as a self-inflicted wound that will do the opposite of what Esper says it would. And in another initiative spearheaded by Esper, a new mandatory Pentagon training course for all Department of Defense personnel refers to journalists and peaceful protesters as, quote, adversaries. That's right. A new Pentagon training program describes protesters and journalists as adversaries. The training manual is public, and it includes a video message from Esper, who at Trump's direction is trying to crack down on leaks from the Pentagon. Meanwhile, in China, an American cybersecurity firm says a Chinese state-backed hacking group targeted and infiltrated the Vatican this year in what the firm describes as an espionage mission aimed at gaining an advantage in diplomatic negotiations. The reported hacking comes at a time when the Vatican and Beijing are looking into extending a controversial agreement on the process of appointing Catholic bishops inside China. The provisional deal, signed two years ago, was aimed at healing a decades-long rift between the Holy See and China and eliminating a system in which some Chinese bishops pledge loyalty to the state and others to the Pope. Hong Kong police today, meanwhile, arrested four people between the ages of 16 and 21 on, quote, suspicion of inciting secession, marking the first targeted crackdown on opposition activists since Beijing enacted a controversial national security law late last month, restricting many of the city's previous freedoms. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday. July 30th. Thank you for listening. I'm James Hellman. Stay safe. I'll talk to you tomorrow.